Well, good morning, church family. This week, I read a quote that reminded me of a number of the things that Jesus said. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you that today's sermon is going to make, I think, all of us a little bit uncomfortable. It's going to challenge us in a few different ways. But this morning, I hope we allow God's word to challenge us, to wake us up, to renew us, whatever it is that God needs in our lives. Today's sermon is entitled, Not in Word, But in Power. Here's the quote. We know what the power of the world looks like. When push comes to shove, as it often does, it is the power of violence, using the threat of pain and death. It is, yes, the power of tanks and bombs, and also of guns and knives and whips and prisons and barbed wire and bulldozers, weapons to destroy people's lives, machines to destroy their homes, cruelty in the home or at work, malice and manipulation where there should be gentleness, kindness, and wisdom. Jesus' power is of a totally different sort. As he explained to the Roman governor a few minutes before, the governor sent him to his death, thereby proving the point. The kingdoms of the world run on violence. The kingdom of God, Jesus declared, runs on love. That is the good news. This quote comes from N.T. Wright's phenomenal book on the gospel message entitled, Simply Good News. And it really puts things into perspective. And it makes me long for the full establishment of the kingdom of God, where death, destruction, violence, coercion, and control will no longer be the way of the world. The good news is that God's way is a way of love. The prophet Isaiah depicts a new earth where weapons will be beaten into plowshares, garden tools, and nations will cease warring with each other. I look forward to that day when God's kingdom will be fully realized. But did you know that in the meantime, we can be a part of spreading God's kingdom on this earth now? Over and over, Jesus taught the kingdom of God was already here, even if it wasn't fully realized yet. I love how Paul puts it. By asking a question, he wants his readers to realize that they actually want God's kingdom over the kingdom of this world. God's way is better than the way of the world. 1 Corinthians 4, 20 and 21, Paul puts it this way. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? The kingdom of God is fueled by power, but there are two types of power. The power that is run by aggression, violence, and manipulation, or the power that is run by love, forgiveness, and a gentle spirit. Paul asked, which do you want? Obviously, it's the second one, right? There are numerous aspects of the kingdom of God that we could talk about, but today I want to talk about one in particular, gentleness, gentleness. And before we go on, it's important to know that the words gentle, gentleness, meek, and meekness are all used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. In every verse we look at today, though, I've bolded the word 
so that there's no confusion. All right, so when we talk about a kingdom, every kingdom has a philosophy and a leader. So the question we can ask is, where does the philosophy of God's kingdom come from? James 3.17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is fear, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. So the philosophy of the kingdom of God is one that is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits, and it is devoid of partiality and hypocrisy. And this philosophy comes from above, right? AKA, it comes from God. We believe that Jesus is the leader of this kingdom. Over and over, he made it clear that he was unrolling the kingdom of God upon this earth. And since gentleness is one of the philosophies of this kingdom, shouldn't we see it in its leader, Jesus? Yes, and we do. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. As you follow Jesus ministry throughout the four gospels, you will quickly find that he backs up what he says. It's not just empty words. He exudes a gentleness that we can only hope to aim for. Now, some of you might be wondering, wait a second, isn't Jesus referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah in the book of Revelation? Aren't lions strong and mighty? And the answer is yes, of course they are strong and mighty. But oftentimes we allow this sinful world to twist our understanding of things and words and concepts. We equate gentleness with weakness when that couldn't be farther from the truth. I love this quote from the late pastor and author, Ralph W. Sockman. He says, nothing is so great as gentleness. Nothing is so gentle as real strength. The gentleness of Christ is part of what made him so strong and so great. His gentleness is exactly the thing that drew the abused, the neglected, the forgotten to him. It made them feel safe, and it made them feel welcome. Or how about this quote from Leo Rostin? I learned that it is the weak who are cruel, and that gentleness is to be expected only from the strong. Is it any wonder that our mighty God, become man, was so gentle? It's easy to be cruel, but strength is the seed that sprouts gentleness on our own, we are rough and cruel, right? We're, we're not gentle. But because of our sinful hearts, our natural way is one of aggression, violence, and manipulation. Instead of one of love and forgiveness and gentleness. But the beautiful thing is that for all of those that become a part of God's kingdom, the fruits of the spirit are made available. Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. 
Gentleness is so important to God that he made it available, this fruit of the spirit, to every believer. I also love how gentleness and self-control are right next to each other in this verse because it reminds me of the definition of gentleness that novelist Elizabeth George gave. She said, gentleness is strength under control. It is the ability to stay calm no matter what happens. She links gentleness and self-control in a similar way that the Bible does. Paul had a few things to say in his, uh, his first epistle to his friend Timothy in connection with gentleness. 1 Timothy 6.11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. People of God are called to pursue these things, right? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Do you notice the type of company gentleness has? Only some of the most integral attributes of the Christian life. Then why is it that we as Christians talk so little about gentleness? When was the last time you heard a sermon preached on gentleness? Because, you know, as I ask this question, why don't we talk about it? It sure isn't from a lack of inspired writing on the topic. When talking about the qualities of a spiritual leader, Paul says this, 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. In other words, Paul believes a spiritual leader shouldn't be a greedy drunk who's always looking for a fight, but should be a gentle peacemaker who is content with what they have. Gentleness is an important quality for a Christian, yes, but especially for a Christian leader. The apostle Peter has some words to say on the topic as well, and it's in a place that we often overlook. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. How sad that these verses are so often used with a lack of gentleness to attack those who wear jewelry. Some of those who refrain from any kind of adornment are the roughest people that I've ever met. While those that wear adornment, that wear jewelry, and maybe even lots of it, have a gentle and quiet spirit. Until we learn the true meaning behind what a gentle and quiet spirit is, it's probably best that we spend all our time looking in the mirror at our own problems and spend absolutely zero time worrying about the things others do or say or wear that we don't like. It's not our job to point out what we believe to be defects in others. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. I think we'd all do well to reflect on this beautiful statement by Ellen White. There are many who try to correct the life of others by attacking what they consider are wrong habits. They go to those whom they think are in error and point out their defects. They say, you don't dress as you should. 
They try to pick off the ornaments or whatever seems offensive, but they do not seek to fasten the mind to the truth. Those who seek to correct others should present the attractions of Jesus. They should talk of his love and compassion, present his example and sacrifice, reveal his spirit, and they need not touch the subject of dress at all. There is no need to make the dress question the main point of your religion. There is something richer to speak of. Talk of Christ. And when the heart is converted, everything that is out of harmony with the word of God will drop off. It is only labor in vain to pick leaves off a living tree. The leaves will reappear. The ax must be laid at the root of the tree, and then the leaves will fall off never to return. There is far too much judgment and condemnation in the Adventist church when it comes to the topic of adornment. And personally, I believe it's done great harm to the cause of Christ and is often presented in a way that leaves context by the wayside. But that's a whole nother can of worms. If you'd like to hear my detailed thoughts on the issue and get the full biblical understanding of the topic, not just a couple of texts taken out of context, you can download a podcast that I was a guest on last year. The podcast is called Burn the Haystack, and it's the episode that was posted on November 27, 2019. Burn the Haystack, the episode posted on November 27, 2019. All right, so I know that we've covered a lot of ground this morning, but we've still got some ground to care, uh, to, to look at. Um, these two verses are the specific ones, these, these next two verses are the specific ones that I think will cause all of us a bit of uncomfort. But I just ask that you would stick with me, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. In the New Testament book of Titus, we find the following verse, verses. Titus 3, 1 and 2, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now, we know that as Christians, we need to be gentle peacekeepers, right? But did you pick up on that other thing here? In talking about rulers and authorities, we are to speak evil of no one. When I reflected on this verse, it cut like a knife. As Christians, it doesn't matter how much we dislike or disagree with our leaders. We should not be talking bad about them. Yet so many of my Christian friends are constantly spewing hate, insults, and mean names at President Trump. And just so that we're clear here, those of you that might be saying amen to what I just said are some of the same folks who were doing the same things when Obama was in office. The question for all of us is, how does this affect our witness? How does this affect our witness? As long as our government doesn't ask us to do something that goes against the law of God, we should be upstanding citizens, given, giving no reason for others to speak ill of our faith or our Savior. Maybe you disagree with something Nancy Pelosi says. Maybe you're angered by something Mitch McConnell says. That's fine, but according to Paul, you shouldn't speak badly of them. We've got to stop the name calling and mudslinging because it makes Jesus look bad. 
It makes Jesus look bad. I've been guilty of this too. Don't think that I'm just dumping all of this on you all, but we are supposed to be Jesus's representatives here on this earth. And I think that we all can do better in this area. I also believe that we have a holy responsibility to pray for our leader. So the next time you find yourself upset at a specific leader and you want to sling some mud or call them a name, maybe stop and lift up a prayer that God would lead them and guide them. The spiritual fruit of gentleness, I believe, can help us in these matters. Gentleness isn't just to be reserved for those that we like or agree with. As Paul reminds us in Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. All men. That includes your enemies. That includes those you disagree with. That includes those who do terrible things. Stand against injustice. Stand for your convictions, but do it with gentleness, leaving the name-calling for those who are rough. Remember, gentleness is not weakness. It is strength. We must learn to reject the notion from the world that only roughness and violence can enact change. Christ offers a better way. I love this quote from L.R. Frost. Gentleness is not weakness. Just the opposite. Preserving a gentle spirit in a heartless world takes extraordinary courage, determination, and resilience. Do not underestimate the power of gentleness because gentleness is strength wrapped in peace, and therein lies the power to change the world. Wow. Christ was gentle, and he changed the world. Through the Spirit, he's given us that power too. Okay, so we talked about dealing with governing authorities and gentleness, but what about those that are antagonistic to our faith? Paul's second letter to Timothy shines some light on the topic. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So there it is again, right? To be gentle to all, including those that are in opposition to us and our Christian beliefs. We aren't supposed to argue and quarrel, but instead take on the gentle, humble, and patient character of Christ. We need to realize that it isn't our job to convince or to convict them. Paul is clear that it is only God that can grant them a repentant heart. They've been taken captive by the enemy and our gentle treatment of them can help them come to their senses. But what about a believer that has gone astray? Maybe we have a Christian friend who is actively committing sin, actively rebelling against God. How should we deal with that, right? We, we love them. We, we want to uh, confront this issue, come to them in love. How do we do that? Galatians 6.1. 
Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Once again, a spirit of gentleness is, is key. Tough conversations can easily lead to defensive positions, but a gentle approach can help. It can go so far in that matter. I find a lot of truth and wisdom in this following quote. This is from Gail D. Irwin. Gentleness is not apathy, but is an aggressive expression of how we view people. We see people as so valuable that we deal with them in gentleness. Fearing the slightest damage to one for whom Christ died, to be apathetic is to turn people over to mean and destructive elements. To truly love people calls for us to be aggressively gentle. The truth is, our hard and rough demeanors and attitudes, they hurt people. It's easy to be aggressive, but it takes discipline and God's spirit to be aggressively gentle. Now, Remember from the beginning of this sermon that gentle and meek, gentleness and meekness, they're used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. And so keep that in mind as we look at this next verse where Paul reminds us in Colossians, the type of character the elect of God will desire to put on. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I hope that the importance of this fruit of the Spirit is becoming evident. We've looked over 10 verses on the topic, and that's just in the New Testament, right? And, and I've left some of them off. Some of them I, I didn't even bring into this sermon. And then if you look into the Old Testament, you start looking at the Old Testament wisdom literature and the prophets, minor and major prophets, they're full of teachings on and examples of gentleness. As Christians, we can't forget about gentleness. Paul, writing from prison, even shared the necessity of gentleness for the unity of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Humbleness, gentleness, and patience are the seeds that sprout Christian unity. Now, many consider the Beatitudes to be some of the greatest teachings that Jesus ever preached. And if gentleness and, and meekness were so integral to the growth of the kingdom, then we should expect to see something about meekness or gentleness in this powerful sermon, should we not? I, I think that we should, and we do. Matthew 5 and verse 5 it simply says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. All we have to do is look around us and realize that this isn't 
the case yet. The proud are the ones who now inherit the earth, but change is coming. Change is coming. In due time, the kingdom of this world will be given to the saints, to those who have learned the grace of humility and gentleness. In Matthew 23, Jesus says that eventually those who humble themselves, those who learn gentleness will be exalted. Wow. It is not those who try to bring in the kingdom politically or militarily, but those who follow Christ's way that will inherit the earth. Violence, cruelty, and malice are the way of the world, and they are not the way of Christ. May we choose the better way. I pray that we accept this fruit of the Spirit, that we taste and see that it is good. It will show that we are strong, not weak, that we are caring, not apathetic, that we trust the way of Christ over the way of the world. Gentleness is an important Christian value. It's an important Christian virtue. It can win new souls to Christ or win wayward souls back to him. Do not get caught up in angry name calling, but instead a gentle spirit that leads us to pray for our world leaders. Be patient with those who revile us and dependent upon the spirit for direction. Our gentleness should be known to all mankind. Let us follow the way of gentleness, the way of Christ, and we shall indeed inherit the earth. Amen and amen.